0: Uh, We are starting a two-week break from the Nehemiah series, but we're going to continue our theme of rebuilding. See, we've been talking about Nehemiah going, rebuilding the wall, today we're going to continue to talk about rebuilding, but I think it's going to be a little more personal for us. So if you have your scriptures, let's open up to Matthew chapter 22. If you're like, ah, forgot the scriptures, don't worry, we're going to have it up here on the screen too. But we are actually entering into, like, the middle of this story in Matthew chapter 22, verse 34. We're entering into the third test that Jesus encounters from the Pharisees and Sadducees. And so I just want to give you a little heads up about where we're entering into. See the first test was in Matthew 22 starting in verse 15. The Pharisees and the Herodians they get together and they decide they want to test Jesus by asking him about paying taxes to Caesar. Remember Jesus' response? He says give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. Well, they strike out, okay? They don't get Jesus up in that test. So, the the Sadducees come to Jesus with a really odd question. If we analyze this question, it's very odd. It's an odd question they ask about marriage post-resurrection. It's just an odd question. It's like, anybody see where that came from? I have no idea. But they get there, and they say, "In, in In the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife will she be? Because they all had her. And Jesus replies, with something I would never want to hear the Savior of the world say to me. He says to them in chapter 22, verse 29, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. It's like Jesus is saying, have a seat. We're done here, (laughs) okay? It's just like (laughs) your test, no good. And so then, then we move on to Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 34. This is what God's word says. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind this is the great and first commandment and a second is like it you shall love your neighbor as yourself on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets today I want to talk about rebuilding love I want to talk about rebuilding love. See, because I think the walls of love have been decaying for quite some time now. Our default emotions as a culture tend to be less love and grace and more hate and anger. We are not quick to love, but quick to argue, quick to draw lines, and quick to divide. We lean more towards putting on an act Than putting on love We are more willing to disassociate Than we are to discuss Our culture's lack of love Towards one another Is actually driving a wedge Between each and every one of us And we've moved to being such A consumeristic culture That we have started doing that With people as well Have you noticed this? If we don't get what we want from one person, we'll just move on to the next. Our lack of love in our culture has given new life to the self-absorbed and selfish mindset. So here's our on-ramp for today. If you miss the on-ramp, you're just going to keep going, all right? So just, just hop off on the on-ramp with us. Here is our big idea for the morning. Love God, love people is not a slogan, it's a commandment. You might have seen this on someone's church sign outside. You might see this as you walk into another church and see love God, love people, plastered up on the wall. You might even see this in a fellow Christ follower's home. Love God, love people. It's nice that it's hanging in their homes, but if it's not hanging in their heart, it doesn't mean a thing. Love God, love people is not a slogan. We are not advertisers. It's a commandment. We are ambassadors. Now, before we go further, I want to make sure that our operating systems are all functioning under the same definition of love. Our scripture today uses the Greek word agapao. And this word is a commitment of devotion that is directed by our will. A commitment of devotion. This is the word that is in our passage today. There's another common Greek word that is used for the word love and it's the word phileio. And phileio is to express friendly affection. That's not what we're talking about today. It is not friendly affection. It is a commitment of devotion. This is not, this love is not dependent on our current feelings But on our current commitment to the word of God and the love of God that is growing in our lives And so I want to spend our time together today processing this kind of love together through the foundation of our scripture So let's start there See what's happening in our scripture is the Pharisees see the Sadducees were not successful They were not successful in their testing of Jesus, so they send in their lawyer, an expert in the law, someone who not only would have interpreted the Old Testament laws, but would have been a teacher of the Old Testament laws. And he comes in to ask Jesus this question. Now this question of which commandment is the greatest has been a common debate among the Pharisees you see here we're not just talking about the 10 commandments that Moses brings down we're talking about the entire Old Testament which numbers around 613 commandments and this doesn't include the 613 does not include the oral or cultural traditions that the Pharisees have set up that are like little commandments And so this common debate They they really genuinely want Jesus' response here They really want to know what he thinks But they also want to trip him a little bit Because any suggestion in Jesus' response That implied certain commandments were unimportant Would have provided the Pharisees with sufficient grounds For Jesus' immediate rejection So the lawyer asks the question which is the great commandment in the law And Jesus says Love the Lord your God With all your heart With all your soul With all your mind yes, Now this was an interesting response To the Jewish community that he was speaking towards because this was a Jewish tradition called the Shema, and it's taken from Deuteronomy chapter 6, but they would would announce this Shema every day over them. Devout Jews would have recited this commandment every day in the morning and in the evening, and it was the way that they started their worship services on Friday evenings by reciting the Shema, this great commandment. And this answer alone would have satisfied the Pharisees Would have given no grounds for Jesus to be cast out and rejected But Jesus doesn't stop there, does he? He continues on He says this is the great and first commandment And a second is like it You shall love your neighbor as yourself Which is from Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18 On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets Here's what's happening The Pharisees are after an answer Jesus is after their hearts He's not trying to get out of their question He's trying to get into their hearts Jesus sees that the walls of love Are broken down They know the law The Pharisees They know the law But are they living it? They see the people that are hurt And need cared for And loved on But are they actually doing that? Jesus sees the brokenness And he sees the need to rebuild Brick by brick Heart by heart So here's Here's my uh, friendly disclaimer For today's message uh, Because this seemed to to Wreck me this week um, The last couple weeks really Um, So here it is Rebuilding love will reveal Brokenness in each one of us Rebuilding love will challenge our character, and if we allow it, it will grow our hearts. Our scripture today talks about rebuilding love in two ways. The first is this. Jesus is calling on the Pharisees to move from daily reciting to daily living. Verse 37, we've talked about this. We've said this a few times, but I think it's important for us to know what this says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Jesus takes this familiar statement and returns it to its rightful place, not just as something that we recite every day, but a commandment that we live every day. The Pharisees know this verse like the back of their hand from their every morning and evening routine, but what has not been routine is their daily living of this verse. And if we break this commandment down, there's there's four key words that are specific to this verse alone. The first one is love, which we've already talked about, right? Remember what it is? It's a commitment of devotion as a duty of our discipleship. Our followership of Jesus and identity of God is wrapped in how we lovingly commit and devote ourselves to one another. The other three words are not going to be a shocker to you. Heart. Soul and mind. Love God with all your heart. This word heart means feelings, affections, emotions. The command of loving God with all our heart means that we love God with every feeling, with every affection, and with every emotion that we express. Love God with all your soul. This word soul means life. It means the inner life that we have inside of us. The command of loving God with all our soul means that we love God with everything that is unseen as well as seen. It means that loving God internally is just as important as how we love God externally. It means we can't fake our way through it and impress God. Love God with all your mind. This word for mind means thinking, means thoughts, understanding. And I love this. I had never heard this before. But the original Greek meaning of this word can mean choice-making. The command of loving God with all our mind means that our thoughts keep in line with his will That we make choices based on our internal love of God rather than our external circumstances Now I think oftentimes in scripture we find lists like this and we make them checklists Well, that's not the way this is supposed to go because as we unpack all of these Greek words, they all have this foundation of looking at the entire self. So there's no possible way we could go through the day and go, man, today I really love God with all my heart, but not with all my mind. That doesn't work that way uh, It's just kind of like the fruit of the spirit Where it's the fruit, not the fruit so you don't get to pick and choose Like It's not like, oh, I'm going to have love and, love and joy today But I'm going to forget about patience uh, It doesn't work that way These are not meant to be separated But because they are intertwined Heart, soul, and mind are all intertwined And not meant to be separated This is not a checklist It's a check yourself list Jesus is reshaping The Pharisees worldview of love When Jesus answers their question With this commandment He is not telling them anything They don't know But he's reminding the Pharisees To love God with every corner Of their lives And I think this is where we stumble Just as the Pharisees did To love God with every corner Of our lives See, we are to love God with the corner of our past that is difficult to talk about. We are to love God through the adversity that we are currently facing. We are to love God during joy and struggle. We are to love God with every ounce of life and breath that we have. And here's the thing, church, here's what we need to understand loving God is not about doing more or trying harder to love Him. It's about being constantly reminded of how much he loves us. It's knowing ourselves as being deeply loved by God. See, when we recognize God's love for us, then our hearts become filled with the affections of God. Our souls become filled with the life of God. And our minds become filled with the thoughts of God. If We want to live a life that loves God with all our heart, soul, and mind. We need to be constantly reminded that God loves us with all of his heart, all of his life, and all of his mind. Jesus is showing the Pharisees where love starts. He's showing them how to rebuild love. Because rebuilding love is being reminded of God's constant love for us and recommitting our undivided love to him. That's only one. (laughs) We're on to number two now, so get your pens ready. Ready? So Jesus is calling not just the Pharisees to move from reciting but to living, but Jesus is calling on the Pharisees to move from memorizing rules to prioritizing relationships. Verses 39 and 40, I got to imagine, like, I just, sometimes I take, I take the, the words of Scripture and just kind of put them in my mind to go, all right, how did this play out? Like, what was the scene like here? I imagine, this is my imagine, this is Justin's international version, okay, this is not scripturally based, but listen, I imagine the Pharisees hear the first commandment and go, that's a pretty good answer, let's go. And Jesus goes, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus takes the familiar commandment of their Shema and adds the commandment of loving your neighbor. I believe one of the most important words in this passage outside of love, heart, soul, and mind is this little word like. Did you notice that in verse 39? And a second is like it. Now this word means exactly what we think it means. There's no hidden Greek meaning that's like, whoa. This word means exactly what we think it means. It means similar compared to together resembles and jesus uses this word all throughout the gospels especially as he is preaching through parables and when he references the kingdom of heaven the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of a mustard seed the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls the kingdom of heaven is like a net thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind The kingdom of heaven is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. This is a term of comparison. And Jesus is taking their beloved Shema and adding to it, adding another commandment that doesn't simply require their minds, but one that requires their actions. Loving God with all that we are is personal, but loving our neighbors as ourselves is relational. See, Jesus is adjusting their worldview. He's adjusting their worldview, giving them a different lens to see the world and to see others in a different light. Jesus is adjusting the scale here as he balances these commandments together. If we really are in love with God in every corner of our lives, then loving our neighbor will be an overflow of God's love to us, in us, and through us. Jesus is inviting them and calling them to live differently and love differently. And this is not the first time that Jesus challenged the cultural laws, rules, and preferences on the topic of love. If we go to Luke's account on the Sermon on the Mount in Luke chapter 6, we hear Jesus' words when he says this, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you Bless those who curse you Pray for those who abuse you Verses 32 and 33 If you love those who love you What benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them And if you do good to those who do good to you What benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same Here's the thing Loving your neighbor is going to be difficult some of my neighbors some of my physical neighbors attend here you can ask them sometimes we're a little hard to love and this word neighbor doesn't just mean the people that are in our neighborhood but it means those that are physically around us those in our circles around us those that are close by so your neighbor is the person sitting next to you and the person your cart passes at walmart loving your neighbor is difficult it's going to be have you ever tried to express love to someone and it's just not received well you ever done that before I remember uh, a few years ago Saturday mornings used to be daddy-daughter date days Right? we'd go I'd take the girls out we'd go to a park or we'd go do something we'd go get a bite to eat somewhere we'd go eat as many pancakes as we could humanly possibly have it was just a lot of fun, and there was a Friday night. We were planning the next day. I said, girls, I think we're going to go to the park tomorrow morning. And they were just really excited about it. Yes, so excited. Well, Saturday morning happens, and I'm like, yeah, the park, we can go there anytime. So I said to Stephanie, I was like, why don't I take them to go get donuts, and then we'll go bowling, right? And I'm like, this is genius. Like, what a great idea. I'm taking the park and amplifying it by like a 1,000. This is going to be the greatest. And so I come down because I enjoyed the dramatic a little bit. What are you laughing at that for? That's not even a punchline. Come on, <laughs> you guys. I love you guys. Love a church that knows me so well. So I come down. I gather the girls together. I'm sitting on the stair, and I say, "Girls, bad news. We're not going to go to the park today." <laughs> like. Tears start to happen down their face. and I'm going, I gotta fix this really quickly here. So they start to cry a little bit, and I'm like, I'm like, but well, we're gonna go get donuts and bowling. They are crying so hard, they did not hear donuts and bowling at this point. And so now they are bowling, and I'm going, all I was trying to do was to take you to go get donuts and go bowling. Like I'm trying to show love. Stop crying! Like it's just like, come on. Have you ever done that? You ever tried to express love to someone that's just not received the way you thought it would be? Here's the thing, loving your neighbor is going to be difficult. Why? (laughs) Because they think differently than you do. Loving your neighbor is going to be difficult because they have different values. They have different backgrounds. Let's get personal. They voted differently than you did. Let's get even more personal. They got the vaccine, but you didn't. Let's get even more personal. They wear a mask at Walmart, but you don't, right? Loving our neighbor is going to be difficult, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Choosing not to love others is choosing to love our preferences and opinions more than the divine image of God in someone else. Loving our neighbor should not depend on circumstances, preferences, or opinions, but loving our neighbor will always depend on how close our hearts and our souls and our minds are to God. Because love is not the absence of hate. Love is not the absence of hate, but it is the presence of God in our actions, in our words, in our hearts, and in our minds. God's presence in our lives gives us the ability to offer love. God's presence in our lives gives us the ability to offer grace. God's love gives us the ability to offer truth and compassion and kindness, to offer peace, to offer comfort, all in the name of Jesus. Without God's presence... Without God's presence in our lives, our grace is shallow. Our truth is lacking. Our kindness runs out. Our peace crumbles. And our love becomes overshadowed by our opinions. We cannot give away what we don't have. So here's the thing, if we are not engaging with God's love for us every day, then how could we possibly be God's love to the world around us? Jesus is not simply asking the Pharisees to change their memorization habits or include this new commandment in their everyday ritual. He's not asking them to do that, but Jesus is telling the Pharisees that loving their neighbor— prioritizing the relationships around them is just as foundational as loving God and will flow out of their love for God. Rebuilding love is being challenged to pour out what God is pouring in. It doesn't take us long as we take a scroll down Facebook lane or to watch the evening news or to be at the store or to be in traffic or to be at church <laughs> to recognize that the walls of love are not slowly decaying but they are rapidly being broken and I think I think a lot of the time as Christ followers and churchgoers, we do a really good job of complaining about the loss of love instead of being ambassadors that add love So, how do we start to rebuild love? How do we start to add love? Well, here you go. Here you go. Here's here's a great list. You ready? It all starts with being constantly reminded of God's unconditional love for us. That's where it starts. It starts when we realize that we need Jesus every day, not just Sunday. It starts when we are reminded to open this love letter that God writes to us and be reminded of his provision, his grace, his truth, and his love for us that is all on display on the cross of Christ. We need to take the lead from God. We need to look to his example of love if we are going to be ambassadors that add love. Then, number two, then we need to be quick to pray. And we first need to pray for the changing and growth of our own lives. We need to pray that God would work in us, transform us, challenge us, and grow us all through His Word so that our hearts and our souls and our minds reflect His. Then, Then we can enter into a praying relationship for others. And here's the thing. Not so that God would change their opinions to look like ours. No, no. We don't want to do that. But so that God would change us all to match his character and his love. Once we enter into God's loving relationship. And then when we pray. Then we can start to pick up bricks. And we can start to rebuild love brick by brick with the brick of compassion, the brick of kindness, the brick of grace and peace, the brick of patience and hospitality, the brick of empathy, all so that the walls of love reflect the love of our Father. So rebuilding love is being reminded of God's constant love for us and recommitting an undivided love to Him. Rebuilding love is being challenged to pour out what God is pouring in. Why? Because love God, love people is not a slogan. It's a commandment. It's time that we start acting and living like it's a commandment. So here's what I want to do to wrap up our, our message time this morning. Um, I'd love for us all to stand if you are able. And I've got this fun little book written by um, written by a Scottish theologian named John Bailey. Ironically, it's called the Diary of Private Prayer that's been published uh, so that's super fun. I read this as a part of my grad school classes and this this book of private prayer has given me insights as to what my prayers should look like. And so this morning, the way I want to end our message time together is, as we stand, if you feel led to just reach your hands out in front of you, as if we are approaching the throne of our king, asking for our assignment. Because our assignment is to not be here every Sunday and then to leave the exact same. Our assignment is to leave as ambassadors of love. So let me pray for us through the words of John Bailey. Let's pray. Dear Father, take this day's life into thine own keeping. Control all my thoughts and feelings. Direct all my energies. Instruct my mind. Sustain my will take my hands and make them skillful to serve thee take my feet and make them swift to do thy bidding take my eyes and keep them fixed upon thee everlasting beauty take my mouth and make it eloquent in testimony to thy love make this day a day of obedience a day of spiritual joy and peace Make this day's work a little part of the work of the kingdom of my Lord Christ, in whose name these prayers are said. Amen.